Courage is the solution to despair. Reason provides no answers. I can't know what, what the future will bring. We have to choose despite uncertainty. Wisdom is holding two contradictory truths in our mind simultaneously. Hope and despair. A life without despair is a life without hope. Holding these two ideas in our head is life itself. Are you drinking, man, Reverend? It doesn't help. No, I suppose not. Can God forgive us? For what we've uh, done to this world? Who can know the mind of God? Or we can choose a righteous life, belief, forgiveness, grace covers us all. I believe that. A movie podcast about movies. That's right. It's a Cinema Nine podcast, the very special, somber edition. We're not going to have fun. We're going to keep this very low key. This is the first reformed episode, a tribute to Paul Schrader, one of the running gags of our one year anniversary show. Right there, Reverend Branstrom, and of course, Minister Roy is with me, Michael Govia, your three hosts as always. It's the one year anniversary show. We're doing first reform for our Does It Hold Up segment, which has become our signature segment. Travis Roy, here it is. One year in the books. Um, what can you say, really? My dearly beloved, we've, we've <laughs> gathered here today to discuss the, uh, the comedy stylings of Ethan Hawke in, in Paul Schrader's uproarious first reformed. Um, fucking comedy, hilarious classic. <laughs> <laughs> but i'm doing good here in hazel park michigan and i'm so excited I, I don't understand how our 53rd episode is our one year anniversary 
I don't know the math on that, but I'm real excited about it. I'm glad to be here with you two fine gentlemen. And of course, all of you listening and watching, as fun as important it is to do all this with these guys, and I love it, it's kind of pointless without you guys there. We really, we need you and we appreciate your support. So thank you. I completely agree with that. Well said. Oh, Mighty Fortress? <laughs> Powerful sermon from the minister, Travis Roy. That's correct. Beautiful. Well said. Yes, it's First Reformed Anniversary Show. Minister Roy has spoken eloquently. Now we're going to turn it over and introduce Reverend Brandstrom, who will speak about <laughs> the experience with our lovely church, Infinite Life. Infinite life? Abundant life. Abundant life. Okay. I mean, either way, we're talking lots of life. Yeah, a lot of life available. (laughs) Reverend Branstrom, how are you feeling? Griffith, Indiana, one year in. Dude, we're doing good. And um, I definitely want to thank the flock as well as you guys. But, uh, you know, when the Lumiere brothers, among others, first uh, created the cinema, cinema, what is that thing, Travis? I don't know, but I got to give a shout out to WK Laurie Dixon, too, if we're going to talk about the Lumiere brothers. (laughs) They, uh, their intention was to have people in a room together watching entertainment. So without you guys, without our audience, we're just sitting around in a dark room with a flickering light. So it's because of you two that this is happening. It's because of our audience that uh, we're able to do this week after week. And I uh, appreciate it from the bottom of my heart and glass. You got uh, Pepto and bourbon? Is that what you're drinking? <laughs> little Drano and whiskey. The, Re- the Reverend Toller? little Drano and rye. I can't, I can't hear you. It's getting way too emotive. <laughs> <laughs> you feel your passion. Wow. <laughs> I feel yeah. like I, someone should be retiring to the West Wing. You know, like <laughs> I'll be in my That's chambers. Right. <laughs> be in seclusion. Yeah, I'll right. be in seclusion in the West Wing. <laughs> Let's all get some blankets, uh, sit on a nice chair, put them over our laps, and get comfy because we're going to be talking deep thoughts here on the Cinema Nine Pod. I'm so happy, so excited. Thank you for being a part of the experience. For those of you that uh, check out the live stream every Thursday night, remember that Periscope is dead. It's long gone. It is bye-bye. No more. Fiend. So you got to go to our YouTube page or our Facebook Live page. That's the best way to do it. We also have a Twitch page. And this was brought up to me last week or earlier this week. Travis Roy, we have a link tree. So you can go to link tree and see all of our connections. Do people? Isn't I don't know. If people. I mean, yeah. People probably don't go to Linktree, but they could click the link on the on the Instagram bio, and it'll show you everything we got every everywhere we're at, or most of the places we're at. There's, I you know, like sometimes I'll, I'll like Google us. And I'll be like, oh, I didn't know we were on Audible. Cool, we're on Audible. Don't know if anyone's <laughs> listening to us there, but if you are, thank you. Yay! Actually, I was on Reddit this week, and somebody posted their Linktree so that you could have all their links to their content so i think people do that yeah so we're doing that now so just i'd never heard of linktree and travis you enlightened to me so thank you for that of course the podcast people that's where it all started before there was ever a live stream it was just us some shitty audio with even worse microphones if you go back to the early episodes which travis has done he's gone all the way back in our catalog and listened from the beginning the audio's come a long way has it not the audio has come a long way. The audio, um, is, you know, some ups and downs throughout uh, the format change. It was interesting going back. The main thing I learned from it is like, Travis, stop interrupting so much. That's really what I learned. <laughs> <laughs> that was probably my big takeaway. It was like, just slow down. Let them talk. They're your co-hosts. There is, <laughs> yeah, there is a, there's a difference 
with dialogue between having a conversation with somebody and then doing it like technically for entertainment. There is uh, a cadence that's different, right? There's a whole kind of uh, mood as well. I mean, for me, if it's just us sitting in a room, I'd probably be a little more inclined toward the negative side of things because I'm such a fucking movie snob. But, you know, we've got an audience that doesn't come here to hear some asshole bitch and complain. So I try to be as positive as I can for the show. And and, in all honesty, it's something that I had to work on. And I'm not going to lie about it. Well, you shouldn't if you care about the craft and you're actually trying to improve the show. That's why I heard somebody say this the other day on a podcast. Uh, oh, it's Mort Krim. Fucking Mort Krim is still oh, alive, by the you. way. I'm sorry. Mort Krim yeah. has a podcast? No, he doesn't, but he was a podcast. <laughs> he was a guest uh, on a podcast. Non-Detroiters, Mort Krim is a longtime uh, oh, God. local anchor. Titan. Yeah. Yeah. More, well, he's, he became more famous, for those of you that are not Detroiters, because Ron Burgundy, would, he got credited with being one of the, inspo- the inspiration for Ron Burgundy, especially when Anchorman 2 came out. So, anyways, more Krim, legendary. He's still alive. He's 85 years old, and he was saying on a podcast as a guest, not his own. Oh, okay. That Krim he, guest. Well, yeah, hey, Krim? If Barack Obama <laughs> could have a podcast, then, then the Krim cast could be a thing. His voice... <laughs> His voice is beautiful. He still sounds amazing. He hasn't changed at all. He's 85 and he sounds lucid and clear. It sounds like it's 1986. It's amazing. And the Bill Bonds wars are going on with Mort Cram and Bill Bonds every night going head to head. Those are the days. But the point being of this whole Mort Cram commentary is that (laughs) he said he doesn't believe movie stars who say, I don't watch my movies. Because that's bullshit. Because even if you care about your craft, you want to see how you did it you want to see how you do things so you can approve upon it and that's why you go back and listen to your own audio as well because you want to see hey uh, all right am i talking over people what am i doing wrong i need to learn i need to get better i'm an egoist you know i'll admit it no I'm just um <laughs> you're no, a human yeah, being so <laughs> yeah no I, I went back and uh and, and listened to him in the hope just because it'd been a year and I, I thought why not you know i hadn't listened to most of them since we you know released them so i thought why not see what i could gain over the you know from 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 listening to them and that yeah and that was mostly what i came away with is i interrupt too much that's about it yay happy one year anniversary travis (laughs) all right well this is just another show in the end just like all of our other shows don't forget cinema nine pod protonmail.com maybe we'll have an anniversary email with somebody reflecting did anyone check check the the email email? yeah i'm checking it right now so i will let you know but in the meantime of course Don't forget, Periscope's dead. YouTube channel and Facebook channel are main focuses for us if you want to see the live streams. If you're a sick individual and you got to see our faces, then go to those areas at Cinema9Pod. Very simple. Quarantine viewing picks. One year in the making. There's still a pandemic going on. Some people have the vaccine. Some people are feeling better and more optimistic. In fact, I actually see concerts that are lined up this summer at outdoor venues, at least, in the Mm -hmm. Detroit area. Steely Dan and Steve Woodwood. Yeah, um, Gin Blossoms and uh, Toad the oh. Wet Sprocket are coming on July 4th. I'm thinking I'm, thinking I'm going to go. Yes. Is that Counting Crows too or no? Uh, it's also the Bare Naked Ladies, unfortunately. I wish it was a Counting Crows. I love Old Department. That's a great song. But yeah, yeah Bare Naked Ladies are hit or miss. I will agree. Hopefully they play last. Before, wait, real <laughs> quick. We got to give tribute to Steve Laskowski, who's one of our dedicated watchers, because nobody did... Lying in bed, just like Brian Wilson did. Back at the striking, or not the striking lanes, the fucking Whitmore Lanes karaoke back in the day, Steve. Well done. Beautiful. 
Yes, dead air. Sure, why not? <laughs> yeah, so your quarantine viewing picks. You're up, Travis. Oh uh, yeah, um, I watched like too many movies. I got I got too much to talk about. I'm gonna tr- I'm gonna I went I, w- I did a return to theaters. I could have sat in my house and watched Godzilla vs Kong on on HBO. Oh Max. yeah, that's I de- right. I deliberately went to the theaters, and I feel you know I've read a lot of reviews, and there are some people that really fucking hated this movie or thought it was just like like eh, whatever. And yeah, like it's fucking stupid. It's monsters. Like, but I mean, you know the the rumbling seats. The deafening roar, like the giant monsters duking it out over me, the maskless teenagers running back and forth with their phones on. Like, it, you know, it was great, I mean, other than the last thing. It was fucking great. It was really, it was a great return to theaters. I was really happy with it. And I love the movie. I fucking love the movie. I'm sure that there's at least like, a, you know, tw- twice as much because of seeing it in theaters. I feel like if I'd just seen it at home, I would not have felt that way. No negatives. Wa- it didn't feel weird at all or anything to go there. It was like, oh, it's good to be back. I mean, you know, I again, like I wouldn't have done it had I not been vaccinated. And even still, like I end up like moving away from the popcorn munching dude to my right. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, all right, I'll fucking the whole time with the popcorn. Fine, fine, <laughs> fine. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, yeah, for the most part, it was good. I'll, I'll, I'll go back. I'll see another movie there. But I'm gonna be pretty selective about it. I'm gonna want to see. You know, I'm not, I'm not gonna see Minari there. Like I said, I would. I, I'm gonna. I'm going to stick to the uh, big blockbuster. I mean, I'll see Black Widow there absolutely whenever the fuck they let us see that movie. Uh, is that May July is now? It? No, oh, they okay. switched it to like mid-July or something. July of 2020,000 or something. So, um, you know what? I'm not a huge Tina Turner fan. Like, I like a couple of her songs, but I watched that new documentary on HBO Max, and it was really fucking good, dude. It was really good. Like, uh, just and, and like inspiring and not like the in the like oh like oh ike beat her and like that's she's got an inspiring story like it's beyond that because it's like how that fucking story became like the whole story of her life and all anybody wanted to talk about so it's like her overcoming that is really the what the story of that movie is about it's really fucking good and since and since she's basically said goodbye to the public life um I'd recommend checking it out. It, it felt like a deep dive back into like 1980s and like and like you know I mean a time when I mean, she's like this rock and roll, 40-year-old black woman, like in one of the biggest fucking stars in the world. It was pretty cool. So check that out. Did you watch yeah. it, Eric? Is he thinking he's, about watching it? He's, he's really Eric's doing. He's he's patiently thinking he's right now. Give him some time. Don't talk um, yet. Give yourself a couple minutes, Eric. <laughs> Consider it. I watched Our Friend, uh, which I wrote a review for on Instagram and loved it. Uh, I thought Jason Siegel could have easily gotten an academy award for this this is probably the dude this is a great this is a good movie um i i feel like between it the father and um that uh supernova like there was just a little too much going on with like people dying and like these movies like so they're like okay we're just gonna give academy awards to the father we're gonna let supernova and our friend go by but but i mean i haven't seen the father yet but to me both supernova and our friend have been things like worthy of oscar attention in my opinion it was good. It was really good. Um, I broke my streak and went back and watched some stuff that I had seen before. Uh-oh. I watched Wick- Wicked City from 1987, which I watched as a kid. It's like, why am I watching Japanese horror porn as a like, 10-year-old? I don't fucking know, but explains a lot. Explains a it lot. It does. It really uh, does. <laughs> finally, an explanation. That is so I finally watched a couple movies that we've talked about on the podcast quite a bit, and I'm going to wrap this up. I, I watched uh, Dragged Across Concrete, so we can oh, stop bringing shit. it up over and over and over again. I finally watched Dragged Across Concrete, and uh, it was solid, man. Probably, you know, 
Um, the best thing I've seen uh, Michael Jai White do in a long time, yeah. um, which I've been pretty hard. I've been on. I've been hard on him for a long time, but it was it was good. It was good. I, I enjoyed it. I still like the other two uh, Zoller films better, but I thought this was good. Um, I watched Master and Commander: The Far Side of the World. <laughs> yes, lengthy title. It was. <laughs> It was good. It was fun. I, yeah. I enjoyed it. <laughs> and I and, and and contrary to what I'd said before about not being into like ship movies and like you know war on the sea <laughs> that kind of stuff. Yes. Like between watching that and the USS Indianapolis uh, or in, yeah Indianapolis movie, I'm like you know actually like war movies on the on boats. There is like this whole level extra of intensity of like you don't just have to like avert being killed by your enemy. You have to like not be killed by the elements and all that kind of stuff. So I'm like. I might it have is. to go back and watch, you know, Crimson Tide and that kind of stuff. I might have to revisit some of this kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> I watched, uh, I watched, I did, I, I did a double decker of uh, Tom Hanks movies I'd never seen, which included a hologram for the king, worst oh. title for a movie ever. I've seen forgettable, it forgettable. But I watched that thing you do finally. Oh. Um, You'd what a delightful movie! It. I'd never yeah. seen it. No. I'd never seen that thing you do, and uh, and you know, like, I've been trying to like you know check stuff off that I hadn't seen. So it, this was on the list, and you know, oh, yeah, and, yeah. and maybe if I noticed that, it, you know, I, I didn't remember that it was Tom Hanks wrote and directed it as well. Yeah, but it yeah. was it was a lot of fun, infectious. I couldn't deny it. Uh, I really enjoyed <laughs> watching a movie about a band that followed the drummer. That was really fucking cool. I mean, oh, leaders. Like, yeah, the one eaters. <laughs> um, the attention given to him and like the like because drummers are always like the least respected right. people in bands. Final taps at the tone. <laughs> right. And and but this movie shows that like he comes in and changes the whole fucking game. They'd be nothing without him, which is true of every band. The drummer makes every band. I don't care how charismatic your singer is. I mean, like, well, hmm. that's, a, that's a bit of a stretch, but I mean, they're important. And they're seldomly reflected on, on in film. So I thought that was really cool. I mean, you get Riz Ahmed, obviously, in like Sound of Metal, but like this was different. This was like about the band oh, yeah. and, and following the drummer and stuff. So this is a classic uh, story of the band. But I will say real quick, when that movie came out, I remember I was excited about it because it was written and directed by Tom Hanks because I was so engrossed with him after he won for Forrest Gump. And, and at the time, I loved, you know, Forrest Gump was like the most sure. profound thing I'd ever seen when I was 15 years old. I admit that freely because you got to go back and think how things were at the time. So I was really excited for that. And I remember at the time kind of being like, eh, so-so. But now I love that movie. So. I was turned off from like early 60s and, but actually it's like a perfect period piece. I mean, it's so authentic. Yeah. The, the, all, the, all the little props, everything, just like really immersive. And the uh, suits. Yeah, everything's great. I agree. Yeah, so it was so it was great. And those are those are most of the movies. Last last thing I watched, I watched The Gentleman from 2020, you know, kind of regurgitated Guy Ritchie stuff, whatever. Mm. Don't, don't make a sequel, Guy. You don't need to. Oh, with Matthew McConaughey? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I watched that a couple months ago. Yeah, it was, it was fine. It, fe it felt like a latter-day effort from a you know someone regurgitating similar stuff they'd trod on before. I mean, it wasn't terrible, but yeah. I mean, it was better than The Hitman's Bodyguard, which I also watched, just like, hey, Americans trashing things up in Europe. Ugh, like, why did I watch this? Don't make a the sequel to that. two actors I really enjoy. Yeah, that's They tough. already did make that's a sequel to it. Yeah, that is also tough. Okay, cool. Well, Travis, I got to tell you, Guy Ritchie, you know, he made Aladdin, so he'll always have that. I still, I still haven't that. seen that. I neither have I. So weird. <laughs> I'm so not interested in seeing it for some reason. I love the cartoon movie version. But hey, Robin Williams, you know, some things you just can't replicate, and maybe we shouldn't, but I like the try. Anywho, <laughs> Reverend Branstrom, give us your quarantine viewing picks on the special one-year anniversary episode of the Cinema 9 Podcast. I watched Too Fast, Too Furious a few Shut days up. ago. 
Really? I don't believe you. <laughs> I don't believe you. Absolutely did. Uh, my nephew was in town <laughs> and he's a fan of these films. So I sat there and watched it with the kid. It was really horrible. It was it was horrible. But it was a dedication to my my compassion and love for my family. It was an absolute short directed by John Singleton, of all people. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, it's so old now. Bad. When was the first one? Like 2000? 2001. And then, wow. you know, the first one, you know, has its place. It's, it was original for the time, for sure. The sequel is just <laughs> fucking so stupid. He's dead. I mean, this franchise, the original director no longer exists on this plane. So just make a note of that. Very and bizarre. one of the main stars. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. true, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's horrible. I mean, there's there's nothing else you can say. 20 years of this franchise. Yeah, it's super <laughs> true. Um, I also watched uh, <laughs> uh, Bunny, uh, animated bunny picture called Hop, starring uh, James Marston. You guys familiar? <laughs> I'm sure Travis has seen this. I, <laughs> I have not seen it. I've heard of it. So I, like uh, I know what you're thinking. James Martin's Marsden uh, teams up with an animated creature, and he has to deal with it. It's not Sonic the Hedgehog. No, 2011's Hop. Same exact plot. I dug it. What can I tell you? I liked it. It was fun. Um, I, I, and it just goes to show you. It, I said this last week. If you got a filmmaker that knows what they're doing and, and can can give you a film about a fucking talking bunny that teams up with some asshole and have it be entertaining, good on you, man. Good on you. Um, okay. I flirted with the fact that I'm about to make a very, very bold declaration. It's not about Die Hard. I'm not getting there just yet. I'm but, sorry. Hang on to interrupt. Did you send us a picture of yourself pondering this declaration that you're about to make? There it, is. Wasn't a, it wasn't a tearful picture this time. It was more of a ponderous, like, <laughs> I'm <laughs> considering the, the weight of my words kind of picture. There was a lot of gravity. So I watched the, <laughs> for the uh, Quran. We're talking Quran? <laughs> I, I, I couldn't have watched it, but I, I dug into the four part. Allen versus Pharaoh documentary on HBO. Oh about no, Woody Allen. Um, it's over. Uh, uh, it's over. I, I, I'm a big like uh, due process guy, but some there's just some things that are just too much and that spilled over for me. I can't go back. And I love Woody Allen's movies. I love them. Deconstructing Harry Manhattan's one of the best films of the 1970s. Period. I can't go back. So. You're on the fence, check it out, or you can just turn a blind eye and keep keep the fun happening. But I can't go back after this; it's too much. Well, no, there's actual like taped, recorded conversations. There's taped, recorded conversations that are that literal are, evidence that you cannot deny, and it's you really can't unhear it. Detestable, you can't unhear it. He's a scumbag, oh, yeah. man, and I'm I'm not down with. We I talked about this with uh, Luke, our friend, on the other show, the uh, Bozo show with the three Bozos, yeah. and. Uh, it's just like once you hear things and I hate doing these public yeah. like I'm with you. I understand. Like yeah. I, I get yeah. that. I tried very lately on that. But when you hear something that you assume is not manipulated, it's it's very old and it's yeah. directly yeah. from the source. It's yeah. well, it's, it's a documentary. To, and I mean, any documentary is going to have lying by omission in it. But when you have yeah. concrete evidence like this, you can't deny it. You, you guys. Um, yeah. But uh, after that, I, I did settle in with a really fun documentary on HBO. It's called The Price of Everything. It's about the buying and selling and creating of contemporary art. Uh, I really enjoyed it. If you have any interest in the topic, uh, uh, Jeff Koons and Larry Poons and Gerard Richter, some of these contemporary artists that don't see uh, a lot of uh, fanfare because mostly their work is just owned by these rich people at, on Park Avenue and it's never seen and it's so different than from what the old masters were doing. I, I really enjoyed it. It's uh, 2018, I believe, won uh, the Sundance for Best Documentary, really good documentary. Did, did you say Coombs and Pooms? 
I did. Jeff Coons and Coons and Coons. Coons and Coons. I don't I, I don't I don't follow the art world, so I didn't know these names. That's entertaining to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's just I mean, it's it's fucking sad how the people that deal with art the most and buy and sell it have fucking no clue about it. They challenged this one person to explain the piece and and she simply couldn't. And it was just it was sad. Uh, but a good documentary. Uh, and aside from that, yeah, I <laughs> I watched Die Hard. And like I told you guys before, I. I <laughs> Can't believe I'm about to say this, but I I I I'd never seen Die Hard. Originally. I feel so much better about how long I went without seeing Do the Right Thing. It's not even funny. Like, forget yeah, about it. this like, is more. Bla- I have to say right off the bat, as a outsider, this is way more blatant than not seeing Do the Right Thing. Well, so what did you think? I loved it. It's the best action movie I've ever seen in my well, entire I thought, life. I thought you were kidding when you said so. I mean, like, just I thought you were just like placating us. So you really, no, it, no. it really, it's, you, you really feel perfect. like it's the best. It's a perfect. Fucking it's it, it's movie. the action movie of all times. I I I I have no excuse. I mean, I I attempted to to limp in and say, well, you know, Gone with the Wind, you get it, like the Civil War and the struggle for blah blah blah. You don't really need to see the film uh, or something like that. Like you you get the bits by bit, and so it's just like yeah. I figured, ah, yeah, the cop he saves the day, he's got to go through hell or whatever. But yeah, it's it's fucking amazing. John McTiernan's a genius. I wish he. I don't know if he's still in prison, but he needs to get back into action movies. He was the master. I used to fuck guys like you in prison. Roadhouse. We love Roadhouse on this show. Classic. Prison. Yeah. Just a tax offense or some bullshit, but guy can fucking direct an action movie like the best of them. We totally depleted the IRS, so we don't have to worry about that anymore. There you go, man. Pretty good week. So your your main recommendation is a film called Die Hard. Okay. Write that down. (laughs) (laughs) Pencil it in. All right. Wow. Cool. Ghost Hand 246 is back. By the way, we do have a Twitch channel. Uh, We don't really understand it, but we do have it. I don't know. It's very complicated. But apparently, people watch it like this person. It's only. uh, Hey, Ghost Hand! It's only as good action because the dialogue, setting, and acting are there to be the bedrock of the action. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's, that's it's not, I mean, it's not, exactly. It's not just like fluff. Like I watched that fucking Hitman's Bodyguard movie, and the action is fantastic, but like you don't give a flying fuck about anything that's happening doesn't right. matter how well it's shot or that right like but like you, you, if, if everything comes together the right way you know like it did with with like it did with the american classic die hard right <laughs> <laughs> yeah i guess it is american classic i won't deny it it's spawn franchises but they're not all classics although three is better than two for sure all right, so uh me yeah hey it's me it's me mario i love movies and that's why we do this show some people think watching movies is a waste of time in fact i've had conversations with travis in the past where i said why we sit in front of a tv all the time one day we're going to be dead we're going to regret this but (laughs) you know i watch as much movies basically as travis does so you know i guess it's just something you do it's okay you can die knowing hey i spent some time watching movies and i shouldn't regret that right I mean, we're a movie podcast. How much do we want to make people feel guilty and like existential for watching <laughs> film? Can we move Wish on to what you've mind. watched? Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. Let's we can save the existentialism for our main centerpiece here shortly. I mean, more yeah. than enough to go around. <laughs> yeah, not that we're gonna get into heavy shit or anything. <laughs> no, not at all. This could be a very lighthearted podcast. Uh, so I went back and watched Anchorman Two, which is just rubbish. It's just rubbish, man. I just. 
I don't know if I have like the unedited version, like the, you know, the, hey, I'm not rated. So all the extra bullshit is in it too. And some of that stuff really drags on and slows down all these scenes. Like the scene with Megan Good, it's just like when they first meet her, it's really excruciatingly like awful. It's like, this is not funny. You're trying to make fun of people that used to be racist, that there still are can be racist because they're white male. I don't know. I didn't really get it. Maybe I'm crazy, but. The movie's a wreck. It is. So it's a cash grab. I get it. I understand why they did it. I mean, I wouldn't resist. Hey, here's a ton of fucking money. Please do this again. So. <laughs> it happens. Uh, I watched I Love You, Man, which is just a, always a delightful film. Love See, it. this is done properly because you have two guys doing great comedic acting and uh, Rashida Jones and even, uh, you know, our Joe Dirt pal checks back. It's funny to see. Good old uh, Priscilla. What the fuck's her name? Priscilla? Pres- what's this? What's her name? Uh, Jamie Presley. Yeah, Presley. I was saying Pr- Priscilla. Priscilla Presley. I guess that's what I was thinking. Priscilla Presley. That is what you were thinking. From the Naked Gun. <laughs> She's yeah, a uh, she is also a person. Yeah. So, yes, Jamie Presley is in this. She has a great job. Her and, and <laughs> the banter between those two characters, they're, although they're just a side couple with the. Uh, Favreau is fucking John, hilarious. John Favreau is so funny in that movie. He's such a prick. Yeah, he really leaned into it in that because usually, sometimes we play like this extremist, like like I've seen him in other Vince Vaughn movies where he's a side character, just like a psycho. And this one, he's very like he's such that guy, that drinking like minimalist asshole husband who does love his wife, but sometimes he just really doesn't give a fuck about anyone else's considerations. I dug it. I laughed a lot. It's funny. It was not the first time I, I saw it, but it was like. It's yeah. good. It's good to see it again. That's a great comedy. Great yeah. comedy. Uh, oh, yeah. And there's like Sam Bergen's J.K. Simmons are just thrown in the side too. There's a lot of good actors in that movie. <laughs> yeah. Hank Mardukas three times a week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, so yeah, I watched Fury. I actually thought. Okay. Was Fury a movie that I would bring to the table? I know it's 2014, but you know we've gotten we've gone to 2012, and now we're going to 2017 here. But uh, it's really well done. But I don't know. There's something about it that leaves me a little. Something's missing, and I wish I had a better criticism of that. <laughs> it's not a very good uh, movie criticism. It's it's got great actors. It's got the scenery is incredible. It's a different setting again. We you know we don't always have like the tank crew version of a World War II film, so it does have that unique point of view. But uh, it was all right. It was okay. It was it was decent. So um, don't worry, he won't get far on foot. I watched that again. I watched. <laughs> I just I really you just love that. I know, I watched it. it a few months ago, and I went right back to it because I wanted to make sure. I'm like, did I really enjoy it? And man, it's I love so it. Good. Jonah Hill is fucking incredible in it, man. Tim yes. Gordon. Jonah Hill, this is like one of his, this might be his yeah. best role in terms of the I'm effort. I not even recognize. I love him in it. Yes. Yes, he's so, much so heart, into it. So much honesty. Yes, a lot of like cut the bullshit, like really honest conversations, and he becomes someone completely different, like you said, like because he's done this... Uh, he does this thing where he'll he'll gain weight or lose weight or he'll try to take on character like you know the teeth in Wolf of Wall Street. You know he tries to do these physical affectations as well. And in this one, he, he has the blonde hair and he just doesn't look like himself, even though you know it's him. And he really dove into that character. I think it's underrated. One of his best performances. And of course, Hawking Phoenix is the main 
guy who was a I didn't even know I learned about this guy. He's a great cartoonist, a really funny cartoonist too. And I don't even know his name now, so I'm an asshole. But it's a great movie. I really enjoyed it. So uh yeah, that's pretty much it. I went back and watched Fast Times of Ridgemont High. I I don't know if that movie holds up. Um and Yeah, I was watching it a few months ago. I was like, well, I don't know about this, Michael. Yeah. I'm glad it exists because just like Travis said with uh that thing you do these period pieces exist and that's really this is a great example of like early 80s teen culture like malls were so important and arcades and i'm glad it exists because it takes you back in time um i don't know maybe it is maybe it is relevant maybe we just changed so much that i watch fast times now and i'm like oh that's that's tough to see i don't know it seems it like so it's set in the 80s though isn't it i mean it was filmed oh, in the yeah, 80s. Yeah. It takes place yeah. in the early okay, so 80s, period 82 but it's it just, indicative of the period. Thank you. Yes, that's a better way to say it. Yeah. The, so I'm glad. That's why movies are so important to me because, in a sense, they can still cap the visual capture of the time and place, yeah. even if it doesn't mean to be a period piece. It's just part of the moment. There are awesome historical yeah. artifacts. Like for a long time, American histor- or historians generally didn't look at film. They're like, oh, no, that's. Uh. But it's like, dude, like this is like if something is created, especially, and then if it's celebrated and reverberates in culture. Like that really, it's, that tells us something. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, Ghost Hands chiming in says, nothing you enjoy is a waste of time. It can't be harmful, but the time is being used in reference yeah. to us. Yeah, it can't even be harmful, but the time is being used. Right. Yeah, right on. And one has the advantage of being a sleeper hit as well, which was I Love You, Man. That was more of a sleeper hit. I think it kind of came on as opposed to Anchorman 2 was way over bloated and <laughs> total trash. So, yeah. All right, so there it is. That's our quarantine right. viewing picks. Now it's so, time for us. Trigger oh, warning. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, let's get that out of the way. I mean, there's a lot of suicide talk in First Reformed. So we'll is get there? that out of the way. Yeah, it's one huh. of the main premises of the film. So Interesting. Uh, That's not how I see it, but I, it's definitely there. So we'll, we'll talk about that. There's like four characters. One of them kills himself, and one of them, and the other one almost kills himself. How is suicide not a major theme here? <laughs> did we watch Come the on, same Michael. movie? <laughs> this is how we this is why we do this, you know? We all bring a different perspective to the show on the <laughs> Cinema Nine podcast. By the way, we had no emails, so you don't have to worry about that. No one year anniversary emails. Yeah, we get we got away with that. But Cinema Nine Pod, Don't email us ever. <laughs> all right, the main events. One year in the making, a tribute. There it is. Eric Brasham's holding up a beautiful copy. I got mine. Again, Travis, if you guys don't know, he sent us both a copy, a Blu-ray edition of First Reformed over the holidays. What a good friend. What a nice guy. He didn't even buy one for himself, folks. He's we don't have to regurgitate. TV. We don't have to do this over and over again. Like, all right, all right, all right, let's move no, on. No, come on. Yeah, you know, you gotta, <laughs> Travis bought this. Yeah, yep. he's always, yeah, don't be shy. You did a good thing. So First Reformed, 2017, directed by Paul Schrader, a guy we have talked about a lot on this show. Travis came up with the idea, and it makes total sense because we've referenced Paul Schrader a million times. And this movie specifically, too. I mean, Paul Schrader generally, blue collar, and this one maybe equally, but um, (laughs) we've definitely talked about this one a lot, especially in the earlier episodes. I wasn't aware that I had offended. Jesus doesn't want our suffering. He suffered for us. Mm -hmm. He wants our commitment and our obedience. And what of his creation? The heavens declare the glory of God. God is present everywhere in every 
plant, every river, every tiny insect. The whole world is a manifestation of his holy presence. I think this is an issue where, where the church can lead, but, but they say nothing. The, the U.S. Congress still denies climate change? Where were we when these people were elected? Yeah, so here we go. Let's get into it then. So four years ago, it's not like a lifetime ago. Uh, Travis Roy, when's the first time you saw this film? You know, I, I didn't see it until after the Oscars. I don't even know if I heard about it until the Oscars that year. Because I just remember, like, you know, when I was watching the Oscars that year, like, first reform started trending. Or maybe, or maybe it was when the Oscar nominations happened. It was one something around there. But, like, oh, it was it was trending. Ethan Hawke was trending on Twitter because, like, you know, snub, snub, snub. And I was like, well, I, I, you know, I missed this movie entirely in theaters. I had not heard of it. So, um, so I caught it around Oscar season, I think like right after the Oscars that year. So I guess it would have been early 2018 probably. And I was floored, you know, I was absolutely floored. Um, and, uh, and immediately, you know, and, and said at the time, yeah, I think he was snubbed for, you know, he should have been nominated. I said it at the time. Well, I feel that way tonight. We'll see. Oh, hey, but yeah, so that's uh, so it was just the one to viewing and then uh, and then again last night. So I'm ready to talk about it. You are talking about it. I'm ready to talk about <laughs> it even more than I am in this moment. Eric Branch of 2017. This movie was in theaters. Did you pop in? Oh, God. No, I, I, I missed it. And it wasn't until I got your infamous text. First reform. Get to the theater right now. Uh, that I that I didn't do that, but uh, I did uh, catch it as soon as it came out on DVD. Uh, oh, 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 oh my! I just, <laughs> I'll never I'll never forget just sitting there after it ended. It just it go. You know how like after you watch a DVD, it just goes back to like the title screen, and then like over and over again the same like ten second like clip of music, and it's just on there. I sat there for just like an hour, like pondering my whole past history my own faith, my current life, my relationship with hope and despair. It was truly an experience after seeing this the first time. I'm not going to lie. Man, that is, uh, that's powerful. I think that's really beautiful. This movie is so intense. And when I was living in Maryland in 2017, it was actually 20. 18 because i moved there in 2017 i feel like it was right after the new year i saw it at like the dollar or the cheaper theater actually it's not the cheaper theater it's like the um what we call it, the boutique theater where they play like these types of movies maybe where it doesn't have they're not gonna have avengers you know what i mean yeah right. type of right. art house yeah yeah, yeah exactly so it's but it's still yeah it, it's it's called the bowtie cinemas over there in annapolis and i made my way over to the bowtie cinemas and the Annapolis Harbor Center, which is beautiful. You keep going through there, you're straight on your way to Edgewater. What a lovely town. A lot of riverways. A lot of people on boats. Good times. Mike used to be an Uber driver in that area, which is why he's <laughs> telling us all this right now. I just can't. I can't not do it. You're right. Yeah, I just can't not do it. I, but I, I, in fact, I went to Ubering right after the movie, probably. That's because I'd worked the night shift. But I saw that film, and I didn't know what I was getting into. I just kind of took a... I took a chance because of timing as well. It wasn't, I kind of was like, you ever get that feeling? We've all had this pre-pandemic, right? It's like, I just want to go see a movie, and I don't give a shit. I'm going to take a chance. Whatever's playing is kind of, have to, I'm going to have to be stuck with, right? Yeah, I've done that. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Okay, good. So that's basically Absolutely. what happened. And, and when I saw it, I was like, wow, this, it really hit me hard. I, I was, it was so understated. I wasn't expecting much. And it was a 
really fascinating, and I had a strong reaction to it. Like I said, the infamous text. I texted Eric, you got to see this. I, I thought of Eric because it was so, you know, it seemed like an Eric movie to me, something that was very <laughs> life-affirming. I always think of that because he just, ever since he blew into my life at a younger age with those same kind of remarks, you know, it's just how it is. So, <sighs> okay, so anyways, what do other people think of this film? This film is a, you know, it's got a lot of heavy hitters in it, so you might think it would be well-respected. Does anyone I mean, want to take a guess? It's the funniest Cedric the Entertainer movie, by far. <laughs> yeah, by far. Yeah, fuck the Kings of Comedy, man. That's got nothing on this. Anybody uh, look up the score you want to take a guess? I, I saw it. I, I, saw it. I, oh, I, I didn't see it. Um, I got to imagine this is just so revered as time. I'm going to say maybe 7-4, seven, 7-4. Seven, yeah, I'm gonna say like this is a thought-provoking film, but may, but maybe I don't. If it got Academy Award buzz, uh, I'm gonna say seven eight. A good seven eight. I believe it's seven two. I'm not looking. Oh. I'm pretty sure it's it's seven two. I'm not looking. Uh, oh, seven one. Shit, seven one. Yeah. I was even even worse. Wow. So yeah, I mean that's not exactly a bad score. Uh, in the sevens oh. is still generally, you know, it's pretty well lauded, but you know, it's not maybe as high as we might have expected. Uh, but you know, I can see where this movie would just not be for everyone. I mean, it really, it starts off like with, I mean, like there's not much happening. And then like you're sitting down in a living room for like a really, really really heavy conversation for like 10 uh, like a 10 minute scene so i could see like some people being like fuck what have i gotten into <laughs> what is with what is with this aspect ratio i could see some people having a problem with this kind of stuff like you know the fact that because it's, it's shot like lighthouse so you know it's shot like a box you know it's is it four no three uh it's 1.31 i think oh okay shit wow yeah, that's weird yeah, something like that. I'm not good with that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, like, it's unheard of. Like, I mean, like, they don't, you know, you don't usually do that. But I mean, but the movie starts and you get these like vaudeville style placards, right? And there's, there's something going on. Like, maybe I don't know if it's like, like, there's definitely a lot of throwback versus like the, like the past versus the present kind of stuff happening in this movie, right? Like, I mean, like, yeah, it's pretty obvious theme, I think, that's, that's occurring here. So maybe that's partly what he's trying to do with that presentation that kind of like you're looking at this almost like it's on your your tv screen i don't know oh, okay that makes sense i see that i see that uh dave horning says bone doggy i don't know what that yeah, means okay but, uh, all right thank you that. dave we've never seen you here dave pleasure to have you aboard thank you so much welcome david those credits i love <laughs> and that first shot they say you know the, the the first shot of your film should really paint a portrait of what you're getting yourself into this is one of my all-time favorite first shots it says it all it's you may not notice it but it's a what they call a push-pull technique, where you're going towards the church at once, you're going away <laughs> from it. So there's your theme right now. A lot of us, uh, present company, maybe present company, maybe excluded, but I'm personally drawn to the church, and yet I'm repulsed by it. I mean, you can't oh, get any more perfect in your theme. I mean, I, w I was raised in the faith, like you know, I, was, I wasn't until my early twenties that I was like, you know, full on atheist. But so beautiful. Yeah. No, I, I just, I was thinking. I'm sorry. You made, you said push and pull. Right, they call it a push pull. It's like think of Jaws when it's Captain Spielberg first sees the yeah. shark, and then it does that thing where like you don't know classic the Spielberg move where you're moving where the cameras. It's a all right. Anyway, so <laughs> it, that's what it's called. It's called the push pull. It, it's it's, it's, just, it's you're just pushing like, uh, the camera in as you pull focus. Oh my god, I can't even. I'm sorry. It's a dumb thing. 
the, You're the say, push yeah, and pull. We know, it, we, we know where it is. <laughs> question is, like is do you want to bring this up on the podcast? Because we the classic. I know it is. Are you gonna? Like, I'm not. Oh. I'm not, <laughs> not going to say his name. There's a classic moment with the, oh, the so and so. So and so was referenced for the push and pull, but I'll leave him out of it. So. Yeah, if you want to <laughs> use your imagination, it's something gross. But in film, <laughs> it's just a classic standard maneuver, usually utilized by Spielberg, and it's just you're pushing the camera in as you pull photos. <laughs> oh, correct. That's very good. So, ninety three percent. To 68%, 93%. Which do you think is which? I'm going to say cr- credits were at 98. I think anyone who saw, yeah, anyone who like went to the theater to see this, I got a feeling they knew what they were getting into. So I don't see that much of a difference between audience I and didn't. critics. I didn't, though. I really didn't. I mean, I didn't know. I really didn't. I when I watched idea. it, I, I I had zero idea what it was about. All I knew was, I mean, I'd seen like the cover, so I knew that he played a preacher or a priest or something. That was all right. I knew about it. Yeah, that I, I really had no pretense on this movie from from my point of view. So, ninety three percent for the critics and sixty eight with the audience makes it seem like it was more of a critical darling. But I don't know. We'll I mean, find out as we could. That's pretty darling in the nineties for for the critics. That's pretty damn. That high. is, yeah, that's a elite. Uh, Chris Nashaway, Nashawadi of the Entertainment Weekly, you may have heard of that magazine, said First Reformed is a bleak, punishing movie and the furthest thing imaginable from an easy crowd pleaser, but Hawk juices it with an austere sense of grace. Juices it. <laughs> he juices it. Knows it. Do you think anybody, would you imagine someone said the juices it about anything related to this movie? I, I would imagine that. Juice by Hawk. Juice by Hawk. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so like I said, very favorable reviews, tons of beautiful, ripe red tomatoes. And we're only hoping that our pal on our one year anniversary show will really come through for us because I mean, oh, nothing would make me happier. Yes, uh, he was probably yes. he was well he was retired by this point. Barack by then, yeah, yeah, was, uh, Barack was <sighs> maybe retired by this point. I mean, he was, yeah, he's out of the game. We're, I don't think we're gonna get a Dustin Thompson review from 2017. Ah, farts. Okay, well, it happens. What about uh, uh Clint, if, what's the guy, Clint? This is actually the, there's something interesting here. This is the most recent movie we've done. So all the critical people are actually, I don't recognize a lot of these names now. There's a lot of new names, like all the old school names from back in the day. We always do like Ebert and even Peter Travers, shit like that. This is all, this is different. It's interesting. It's just a little side note. Uh, Adam Graham of the Detroit News, local paper. First Reformed takes some wild, unexpected, and uncomfortable turns in its final act that will surely shock some, anger others, and disturb just about everyone. For Schrader, <laughs> it shows that he's still got it. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome Isn't that nice? back. He welcomed uh, Schrader back. In, yeah. like, into the, it almost sounds like he's welcoming him into the circle of critical approval. Like, welcome back. <laughs> yeah, welcome back. It's not like you've been making a movie every year or every two years for like the past 20, 30, 40 years, right? No. You haven't been doing yeah. that, have you? No, not <laughs> I mean, he hadn't, he hadn't directed his own work in a little while, but still, I mean, like, it hadn't it been like what? It had been like four years or th- three years. Or it hadn't been that long. I honestly well, think the one movie before this was the one with that Lindsay Lohan with the uh, porn star guy, James uh, oh, Dean. Oh, uh, Laurel Canyon? Yeah, the, the, yeah the, something. The, the Canyons. Those fucking oh, the, yeah. Canyons. Yeah. Um, that was like 2013-ish. A doggy dog was like 2016 or 2012 or something like that. Oh, okay. So that was a year before. Uh, I'm just trying to find a quick uh, splat review just to give us some, you know, comparative knowledge here. Here's one from The Hollywood Reporter, which, uh, oh, by the way, we didn't even talk about that whole Scott Rudin thing. But you guys did a great (laughs) job covering that on the online world. Todd McCarthy of The Hollywood Reporter says, it's not 
quite enough oomph or style in the filmmaking <laughs> to make you forget about the schematic nature of the dramatic construct. <sighs> well, I'm going to have to disagree because I was just thinking about Dog Eat Dog, which I realize probably a lot of people haven't seen, but it's a it's a it's an erratic, frantic kind of film, a dark and like brooding, but like all over the place kind of movie. Um, this movie feels so different. First Reform feels so different from, I think, almost anything else I've seen of Schrader's, like uh, Schaefer's, Schrader's. God damn it. Every time, <laughs> Paul Schrader. Um, I mean, like, it's like, it's so still. I mean, characters just walk out of frame and we're looking at doors or like walls with no one there. And it's just silence. Or there'll be like people in a conversation, like that, like the first scene we were just talking about. There might be like a couple B shot close ups, but for the most part, you're sitting back and you're just the camera's perfectly still as these actors just work for long stretches of, of camera time. It's so it's I mean, like to me, it's it's extremely stylistic and, and like noticeably calm and like um I don't know. It's it's a. I mean, the, 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 these slow pans. I don't know. I, I, I thought it was beautifully directed. I think the the, the the very style that they think the film lacks is in the atmosphere. Uh, you're, you're put into this character, Reverend Tallinn, who is lonely, I, taller, lonely, isolated. And it's uh, the whole film is almost it's if you're alone with him in this empty uh, parish the entire time. The sense of and that's why I think you have the aspect ratio, because it's just so self-contained. That it's yeah. it's yeah, it was supposed to be claustrophobic. I think that was the yeah. purpose, right, to yeah, part of that as well. As well as the uh, great point you made about the relation to past historical, which is peppered throughout the film, like you said, there's all these, like they're almost like uh, they're almost kind of odd in the movie because they just slowly throughout he does the tour with the family, talking about hey, so blah blah blah, this was this, this and that, and then he does the Underground Railroad tour with the kids. Yeah. They're just peppered throughout the film in coinciding with his private diary, which is clearly <sighs> the diary. Let's yeah, talk about that talk- for a minute. Diary. Right, please. Give me your I love, yeah, go ahead. I love that he starts this thing like it's a self-pitying experiment. I'm going to burn it when it's done, but I'm not going to strike out a single word. I'm not going to cross out a single word. And by the end of the movie, he's ripping out pages. He's ripping out entire pages. He's like, and like it, go- it goes from being like, I'm going to burn it to like, it's going to be his suicide note, his manifesto, basically. Um, it's it's fascinating. Yeah. it it The diary, as far as I'm concerned, it's it. It's substituting for his prayer. And when you sit down to pray, it's not like you can hit the delete button or, or um, shy away from your thoughts or feelings. I think he's he says himself that he can no longer pray, pray so he's he's going to write and even more awfully drink, you know, drink as a, as a form of prayer, too, if you will. Um, but, yeah, it's just all part of his self-destruction. Even his written his word is, is like a suicide note. Yep, he is a guy... I don't care if there's narration in this or not. I, I really do see it as more than just a device, but an actual thing that this guy wanted to do because it also isolates him. It, it reminds you. Like when he talks to, uh, whatever the fuck Cedric the Entertainer's name is this. I don't know his character. Joel. Name. Joel, yeah. thank you. Great. Okay, so Joel, who is Cedric the Entertainer in this suit, very well. By the way, Cedric the Entertainer comes in this movie. He doesn't try to be anything like, he's not even labeled in the credits as Cedric the Entertainer. It's by his original, normal, God given name. Yeah, and uh, he's he's rock solid in this. He he plays the role exactly. He's very he very does, grounded. He does great. Yeah, affable, so, affable, but not like um, uh, unctuous or anything like that. You'd yeah. expect from a mega church pastor. 
he gives like he really seems to have compassion and tries to give this guy a lot of leeway. That's a whole other point. But but oh, he knows ahead. which side his bread is buttered on, right? Because he, yes. he knows oh, yes. that bulk. He knows that bulk is their oh, main boy. supporter. And like you know, when he turns his literally just turns his back on Toller, talk to him about climate change. It's just like, <laughs> and, and they have such different ideas about what it means to be a Christian to like have a ministry. Like, because because yes. like he was, he's, like, he's like, I'm trying to, you know, I was like, I'm trying to like run a ministry here, and he's like, I am, and like Toller's like, I am too. And for Toller, that means like following what he thinks. God would want following what he thinks Jesus was trying to tell us to do, like be stewards of the earth and all this stuff. And then for, and then for Joel, like he's from his very rational mindset, I'm trying to run a business here. I've, I've got to make payroll. I've got to like organize all these people. And like, they just have completely yes. different ideas. And again, like one very old, one very kind of like new school idea about how to approach Christianity. But they also see the earth is God maybe wants the earth to be destroyed from Jeffers <laughs> point of view. And that's amazing. <laughs> He just yeah. flat out says it like, and like, this is how it goes. Christians do believe that some Christians see that way. This God destroyed it once; he'll do it again. So I, he doesn't implicitly say that he sees the the the, the pride taking hold of uh, Toller, um, but I, he has good points. Pastor Jeffers says, um, you know, forgive me, but. Jesus already died for everything that you're consumed with at this point in time. So you you shouldn't be this self-absorbed with your your place in in your um where you're at at the church because uh, you're forgiven and and the, the flock forgive me is is for, forgiven. So he sees I don't know if he sees it, but it makes me think that Reverend Toller is is doing this just purely out of self-destruction and maybe even using his religion as an excuse to destroy himself. So the whole push and pull, if you will, of the movie is um, like. that between hope and it. despair, right? Hope yeah. and despair, like which they, they make no bones about. It. This is not like some revelation. This is clearly right. what the movie's about. And Michael, the eco-terrorist uh, who had spent time in a Canadian prison and then kills himself, despair, justifiable despair, but despair. And then you yeah. have Mary, pregnant, the future, very obviously representing hope. Like you, like, and he's just like, like he's introduced to these two characters and, and like, he's already in a bad place. He's already like suffered the loss of his family. He's responsible for the death of his son in his own eyes. Um, like, you know, he, he followed all of the institutions that he, that he thought uh, made his family and made his country great. And it cost him his son and it cost him his, his relationship with his wife. So he's already in a pretty bad place and an alcoholic. And then, and then he's introduced into this situation and then, and then it, everything comes to a head for him and he has to like choose between these two. It's really fascinating. Yeah, but that's what he. Okay, well, all right. I want to go back to the point though about the narration and the isolation. That's why it's not just a device. It really does paint the picture again. Fucking style. Fuck that criticism. It's stupid style is set and tone is set. When he has the conversations with Jeffers, it says you're not in the real world. You're over there in this little museum. They call it the museum. You're isolated. And the narration is a diary. So that. I really like that because sometimes narration can not always be so useful and it could be a crutch, but I think it's actually one of the more recent films, at least in the last five, 10 years that I can think of, where I'm really down with it because it gives us insight into his loneliness and his almost inability to forgive himself in any way, even though he's trying to provide forgiveness for others around him. That's one of the things I love most about it is that when he has this conversation with Michael in the beginning that he describes as being like wrestling with the uh, the angel, Jacob and the angel, right? Like he, he like he's so invigorated by it, even though he doesn't believe what he's saying, he, but he's practicing his craft. And like he just like is so like invigorated by that, but he doesn't he doesn't buy any of it. Um, yeah. 
Well, that's the fucking yeah, thing. The third time this I said fucking that. guy. This fucking <laughs> guy. This character. I mean, Toller is a guy who was really sick mentally and physically. This guy is bearing the loss of his child. This is what it's all about to me. I, I just couldn't let it go. All these other things. He's trying to provide this service and try to ignore that part of him. And when when that Esther, the character that he supposedly oh, had a little affair with, yeah. who works at well, the fling. abundant life, a fling, yeah. whatever. Yeah, an experience. They had sex, probably. And he fucking murders her. God, he's oh, such so a, brutal. I forgot about the brute. That's something I forgot about that. He just tortures her and destroys her, saying you're a stumbling block. And you she's singing. You everything about myself I don't want to be reminded of. And she's singing at the end when when they're kissing. I'm like, oh, that's kind of that's kind of fucked up. Like, yeah, <laughs> right. Oh, oh, don't forget, also, yeah. who could forget that them? song? Because it's like lean, lean. Yeah, it's the uh, it's, it's the song from uh, fucking uh, Night of the Night Hunter. of the Hunter. Uh, yeah, yeah, like 50, 60, well, 50 years of like leaning, and it's Robert Mitchum <laughs> in my head all the time. But for now, it's always ah, gonna be Esther. I didn't know that. Okay, and she's that. she's also one of, if not the only character that Toller doesn't really have to lie to or be dishonest to either to yeah. hold his position at the church or, you know, it, collect his thoughts as in, in terms of his own belief, he has to admit nothing to her except his own honesty. And he tells her about like, he actually like, like he tells her about his physical ailments. So he tells her about like, he keeps her in his life and that's, and that's how she becomes a liability to him. Like, cause he, he let her in and like her concern makes her like detestable to him. It's really sad. Yeah, it really is. I, I feel bad for this guy because I just think he's covering up for this pain of a son and he's trying to find any, he's trying to use alcohol, he's trying to use this church role, anything he can find, and I just could never get away from it. And meanwhile, you have this whole main story about climate change and yeah. that's what's going on here. This You have this guy who is, you know, the, Michael is basically just the, the uh, activator of this story. I mean, he's in pain and he's really tried to do something with his life that he really believes in a great deal, but he activates the story on a greater scale for the first time. Toller can see that like, wow, because because it, it really, he gets into it big time because he wants anything to be into to avoid thinking about the loss of his son, the destruction of his marriage and all this pain in his life. And he actually gives really good advice to Michael in that early conversation. Like he like tells him like, you know, that you can't let this destroy your life. Like you, you could be right about, uh, you know, the, the stuff being all terrible and stuff, but you're letting it, you know, negatively affect your life, blah, blah. Like he gives all this advice that he's, that he himself is not going to follow later. Yes. Um, but one of the things that I really, um, you know, so like Michael becomes like this, it's almost like, it's like despair and like the like knowledge and, and, and like you you you've studied history you fucking know like the more you learn about things the more you can like despair and like you know Toller's in this spot where he's kind of like you know kind of already not doing that great and then there's this scene in the movie where he like picks up Michael's laptop and starts like going through it now earlier in the movie like he's like writing by candlelight to the point that i'm even like i made a note like does he have the fucking internet there but as things go on he's <laughs> drinking more and drinking more and he's on the internet more and more and more and he's like radicalized more and more as he's absorbing more and more information it's not even disinformation it's like accurate mm. information but like just the more he learns the more despair sinks in yeah and a big part of that is kind of maybe even the contradictory nature of the Reverend. He tells Michael that you can seek reason, but it's not going to provide any answers. Uh, I think he tells him that courage is the only solution to the despair uh, because both hope and despair are, he calls them um, 
contradictory truths. So in a way, the Reverend Toler kind of tries to rely on reason, and it's a path he goes down. Uh, but it's life but itself, it's, too, he says. That's yeah, life it, itself is those two truths. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's why I don't really see this as a tragedy, because in the end, I think he has the courage to take this road that, that may seem tragic, but it's his own. It, it, it's the courage of his, his own choice. It's not tragic. I agree. You disagree. Yeah, what, what's tragic? I mean, doesn't the movie end with him choosing hope? Uh, I, I, I personally, of the oh, opinion, you think he killed himself. at the end, he killed himself. Yeah. So. Yeah. Nah, I, all <laughs> yeah right, but so there's, there's no it. dream sequences, right? Is there before that? There's no, there's no dream sequences before this. There's no dream sequences in the movie. There's, this is what there's, I've wrestled with. There's the, there's the one, um, like transcendent intimate yeah, moment where they're like together, but there's no happening. dream sequence. There's no dream sequences in the movie. I, I've, I've seen that take that some people think that he actually drinks the poison and then imagines this, that she's there and that he goes to her and kisses. I, I think that's, you know, I think that's a really depressing take and I feel kind of bad for people that feel that way. No offense. But, um, cause to <laughs> me, it seems really obvious again, cause there's no, there's no other things like that that happen in the movie. It makes perfect sense. She's in the uh, church theater. She's in the church place. She's she knows asking that, about him. Where she is knows he that at? he's there. Everyone knows that he's like worried about him. It makes perfect sense for her to go to him. Okay. And, like, so there's no reason for, to, to, like, yeah. for me to be like, ah, like the, 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 he's do, like the traders doing something stylistic here. Like Pastor no Joel reason. literally goes there to get Toller. It's locked. He's not answering, and yet Mary appears there. That was a kind of a clue for me. But they'd also had that experience in that room that she appears in. She knows she just knows how to get in there and show up there. He took a different route. He didn't go through that same route. Technically, I, I, I mean, mean this okay, is, that's 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 a. I didn't notice that. That could be something, I guess. But uh, I'll have to. I here, mean, I'll, yeah. I'll watch it again. Um, yeah, hmm, Chad, Chad yeah. Chad's chiming in saying that Toller's dead. I mean, it's great that you guys have this uh, like like surety about this, but I think that it's probably supposed to be you know interpretive, um, like you know because if it was supposed to be for sure, we would it would be really fucking obvious. We'd see him drink the Drano and we'd see him die. Yeah. Um, so I think, I, again, I think it's, so if it is, and it is clearly open-ended, I could see where you could make the choice either way. And again, that gives the choice to the viewer. Do you cho choose hope or despair in this viewing? And to me, it's clearly hope. But it also has that haunting, very almost full metal jacket-esque scene, you know, when uh, Private Pile kills himself, spoiler alert. <laughs> That that music, you know, heavy, dark. It's not positive music. It closes with them in this very impassioned embrace with the, you know, yeah. and then it goes to the black and the darkness. So that's the only reason why it makes it kind of confusing. Or maybe there's there could be happy moments. There can be moments of absolute joy, but we're still on a ticking clock here with our Earth that we're in is ticking time bomb at the same I mean, time. I, I, can, I can see it going either way. I think it's I think it's pretty interpretive it is it's very interpretive but i i want to talk about the fact that this guy is it's not a tragedy and he's a contradiction and a cliche though this guy's a cliche i even though he's he seems self taking these radical approaches with the suicide vest if that thing had gone through that would have been pretty radical i have no point with that but that's not what was happening he just ends up becoming this alcoholic cliche who can't deal with his own feelings that's still how i see him i don't see him as this uh martyr or this guy who's so sacrificial for the betterment of the good of the world at all i, I just see a guy who's to. in pain yeah i don't think we're supposed to see him like that we're supposed to see a man in pain we're talking about a guy who very nearly murders 
people that he knows and cares about. I mean, he nearly murders Joel and Esther and a bunch of other people just to kill Balk, just to like kill himself. So, like, if you are the kind of per- like if you're the kind of person that's gonna kill others to kill yourself, in my estimation, it doesn't get much worse than that. You are the worst kind of person. So, like, this isn't <laughs> someone I think that we're supposed to like feel that. I mean, we're supposed to feel for them, but at the same time, like, yeah, I don't think we're supposed to like view him as a hero or anything like that. I, I just, but yeah, someone in clear, intense emotional turmoil and pain, like, yeah, he's in so much pain that he that he's going to use that knowledge, that despair, to justify hurting others. And when that's taken away from him because he won't hurt Mary to do it, that scream into yes. his robes. I mm. mean, again, Water like roll. the man was growling. Oh yeah, walking around. Just oh man, <laughs> the man was fucking robbed. Now I, I haven't seen Good Lord Bird yet, but I've seen a lot of Ethan Hawke movies, and I I don't know that he's done better. He's been better than this in any of them. I mean, it's just an incredible performance. When Esther asks him or says to him, "I just want you to be okay," and he's drinking, he just kind of like gives like this side eye off to the side, sets a glass down, then gives us totally fake smile. Yes, and then he goes right to darkness. Though it's perfect. A- that is very, very good physical. He is emitting the pain and this oh, attempt to try to God. hang tight in this world. What's supposed to be about hope and giving, like his whole world, this whole religious experience is supposed to be about sacrificial efforts and support and love and compassion and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Um, him. It, it gets compared a lot to Taxi Driver for obvious reasons. Probably the oh biggest boy. one, the character having this obsession with a social issue. And you talk about the narrative a little earlier, Mike. The one thing that this movie does perfectly and Taxi Driver does beautifully is the first chunk of the movie, you're kind of right there with your protagonist, for lack of a better word, until there's this turn where you're making a decision one way or another about how you feel about them based on what they're doing. It's 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 just so remarkable. And it, for me, it starts when he sees the obviously when he sees the suicide vest and he starts going on uh, his yeah. laptop. How, how do you guys think they did with the um, environmentalism aspect? For me, you could almost swap that out for any type of social issue. Uh, but I think they do this really nice. Not at all. Not, I, I, I couldn't disagree more. Go ahead, Mike. Really? Yeah, because this is this is about. The earth was created by God. These people literally think, I mean, that this whole place was created in, what, six days, and he rested on the seventh. This whole style, whatever the version of Christianity is that you believe, this is his place that he created. Yes, there's a heaven and an afterlife, a place of paradise, but why would he purposely give the tools to these people to destroy the place that he created? I think that's pretty specific as opposed to, like, civil Uh, rights or— Yeah, and and we're talking about a scenario where there's no future— like abortion rights or like, um, yeah. you know, some sort of labor movement thing, something like this. Like there's nothing more hopeless than the idea that there literally can be no future. Yeah. Right? The end of all of this. Yeah. So I, I think like it's pretty important. You guys say that. Yeah. yeah I, no, I think that, that that issue is super important. And again, you talk a lot about hope and despair, but pride is probably easily the third biggest thing in here. And the film talks about how sometimes it can take the place of, uh, God's creativity. So I'm watching the movie and I'm going to go on a tangent, but I'm thinking about when my fish tank used to get dirty and I knew it was fucking dirty and it was cloudy. And eventually I was going to clean it. I was going to get the fish out. They may be alive. They may be dead, but eventually I'd clean it and it's nothing on the fish. You know, it's just me being a good caretaker or not. So you have all of these people wondering about whether what they are doing has an effect on 
how their creator thinks about them and them contaminating their own environment. I think there's a lot of beautiful stuff in there uh, in that respect. Um, the funeral, I fucking love the funeral. I love, okay, I don't love that song. It's like, but I love the moment when she's dumping his ashes out of a plastic bag and then the song ends. And like, you know, that Michael had it in his mind, like, he was just like, it's gonna be like this moment, you know, that, but the song ends. And it's just like, there's just like this woman just standing on, a, like, in a bunch of mud, hold a plastic bag. And it's just like, it's so fucking like, it's just like, oh man, like, this is not, this is not what you thought it was gonna be, Michael. I'm sorry. It's just not. It's funny though, too. I mean, the, people are afraid to laugh at that moment. I, yeah, it, it's, yeah. I, it is. I, no, it I, is. I, You're right. Like it's it's absurd. Right. So let's get into the suicide theme then, which clearly, masterfully, unavoidable in this film. Right. You're right about that. So Travis, lay it out for me. How do, how you see it in this film, or what's the point of view you see here? Well, I mean, like so. I mean, suicide is a, is the utmost action that one could take if one is given into despair completely right i mean yes. alcoholism was is probably a step on the road at least it is for toller um but um but suicide itself is or and and murder suicide be even you know even more bleak um so and michael acts as a um yeah, like it's a catalyst of sorts to like, you know, to kick things off. And when and when 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 they're having that conversation and like he's and, and Michael is telling him all of the um, these uh, environmental issues, like all, just this statement, this blank statement of like the most depressing and awful facts, like delivered so flatly and plainly, um, like he, he, all emotions been removed from Michael because like he doesn't even he, I mean, like to this point, he can't even imagine uh, like being okay with a life coming into the world because like it's it feels irresponsible to him so like even his own life like his mm. carbon footprint to him seems like a, a waste you know like so it's just i mean it's just the ultimate despair so um but yeah, he also showed emotions in my opinion towards the martyrs that he talks about on the yeah. wall that, that's yeah. where he got emotional he wanted me, so his I life could... to me you know in, in their lives you know their sacrifices didn't mean anything and he knows that his sacrifice wouldn't really mean anything either which is so he's like he it's hopeless like I'm, i've devoted my life these people gave their lives i went to jail to try and make a change and we've already passed this point in 2015 when when scientists said that there would be no hope for change so like what is there and like and ultimately it's an infection he infects toller with this and toller is already hopeless but now he's yeah. got like this like this logical justification for his hopelessness yeah, he's uh, been given that, the fuel and here we go yeah. the access point he needed to go to town on something that actually could be connected to his work and to his despair at the same time which is really that, that's really good writing on the part of them and i also want to say that did anyone have that feeling when they're like showing some of these articles and these facts that they're going over? We're in 2021 now, and it's like, fuck, that was like six years ago, 2015, and now we're six, four years past that. I was internally as a human being, I was like, this is shit, even more depressing and terrifying. <laughs> yeah, well. Uh, I gotta say this, I'm gonna be remiss. You think that Tyler's advice to Michael uh, was good advice and didn't directly lead to Michael killing himself? You, you, do I think that Toller's advice directly led to Michael killing himself? I mean, I'm not Ed Bulk, so no, I don't think that. Okay. Well, he um, gave remind, good advice. Travis said he gave good advice I earlier in relation advice. to the the hope and despair bit. I thought yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. What do you did think he also, did well? Did he also not tell him that his biggest problem is himself and and kind of uh, take yourself out of the equation thing and everything will be just fine? Mm -hmm. He did. 
Well, I mean, I would not say that Toller is a particularly good preacher. I mean, he he's he tries. It's but kind like, of like a job to him. Uh, in it is. Right, so th that gets me to a point that I really wanted to get into, which is plumbing. There's this whole theme of plumbing <laughs> throughout the whole movie, right? The movie starts and like the guy comes up to him and he's like, hey, uh, for, you know, the guy from Abundant Life is like, yeah, there's still a leak in, uh, on the, in the sink. We need you to take care of that. We'll get the guys from Abundant Life to come down. No, 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 no. I want to, I want to fix that leak. I want to work on that leak. And then he shows him later on like working on a toilet and stuff too. And then, and then like Mary comes to him like, hey, I'd like for you to talk to my husband, Michael. He needs help. And he's like, oh, um, at Abundant Life, you know, they have counselors. Like, you could talk to them. That'd be cool. Like, he is perfectly content to act as, like, museum guide, a tour guide. He's perfectly content to, like, to tend to the plumbing of the place and keep it working. But, like, that's it. The bare minimum, right? Like, it's a, and it, so eventually he's drinking the Drano himself and, you know, <laughs> uh, ultimately fixing the problem, I guess. It's, 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 I don't, I don't know 100% what is trying to be said here, but it's an interesting uh, web that's, or, or, or thread oh, that's woven throughout the film. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's almost as if faith or, or, or even the church itself are a, a leaky faucet that has to be constantly yeah. maintained. And yeah. literally, the guy, his church is a museum. So you put your antiquated adjectives there all you want to. It says a or, ton for me. Yeah. What, one of my favorite scenes is when Toller goes to uh, First Abundant for the inaugural time. And I'm not talking about the singers, Mike. But when he sits in the pew, and God, it's such an exercise in gorgeous internalized acting. There's so much going on with Ethan Hawke. Even we know the kids are kind of just like fucking around. He sees this earnestness in these proceedings. And, and in his mind, this is a church that's working. And he's kind of remembering about, you know, what faith can do. And you can see it on his face, this kind of love that's pushing against his own so distrust funny. for the system. Not remotely what I get from that. Really? Yeah, that's not so remotely weird. what I get. What I get that's from that so is interesting. that I, I get from that that like he's like because to him like I, like all right for me like i think he loves first reformed the church which is partly why mm -hmm. he wants to blow it up in a weird way mm -hmm. like um he wants part of that legacy of all those people in the book all those old yeah yeah which, beginning. Like, they're all dressed so modernly and then you get to him and he mm -hmm. looks like he's from the fucking 19th century um, <laughs> but yeah but he, i i think that he gets to the super church and i think he like to me he looks like not thrilled to be there like not I mean, yeah. To me, like it feels it's it's empty. Yeah. It's, it's as empty yes. as his other place as as, yeah. as, the, as the first reformed. So he knows so he's gonna see Esther too. He's like, fuck, right? And like, yeah. So to me, like, I, I didn't get that feeling at all about the super. To, to to me, the super church is so vapid and so like they're not doing it. I mean, they're just encouraging. Like, all right, so like they got this this teen instructor guy who's like, oh fuck, someone asked a real question. I better turn to Reverend Toller here. <laughs> and then like, and like, clearly they're raising fascists. You know? So yes. It's like, yeah. Uh, it's yeah. It's it's it's. it's I, I don't really. Yeah. I, I the super church. It might be. Yeah. Is not. It might good. be the the possibility they have because they actually have people people go in there. He knows it sees five thousand, and they fill the five thousand. So I guess I feel, maybe feel a little sorry for him seeing the opportunity there. Yeah, but, but I don't get the feeling that he wants that. Like I don't. That's what I'm saying. That's kind of gets back to my plumbing thing and him being a bad preacher. Mm -hmm. thing. He's not a good speaker when he's preaching to like these five people in the pews. He's a terrible public speaker. Like he's not good. I don't at know it. what Mary sees in him. She <laughs> goes there all the. Uh, you're right. There's this. I don't know what that. You've really helped me. Yeah, he's been there like physically with her personally and prayed with her. So maybe that helped her more. But those yeah, those fucking yeah. sermons trash. He's yeah. just that's not inspiring I, whatsoever. Well, you you say that, but. 
uh, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to anyway. I think, and I'm willing to bet that a lot of people that give sermons or are involved in the church are inherently terrible speakers and they're doing this out of a calling. And, and yeah, I see that on Toller's face that he, he sucks at his job, but he's fucking trying. Oh yeah. He's definitely uh, so I don't trying. see him as a bad uh, pastor. I just see him as something who's great. Someone who's, well, yeah, we cover he this. Cold. He's a minimalist. He, yeah, no, you're Travis right. said I mean, it very well. Like he just does not want to be, you know, you mentioned the plumbing. The organ is also intrinsically connected to that. There's this missing piece. The organ doesn't work. And the plumbing and the organ, all this stuff, these are parts and things that need to be replaced. And there's like this thought about this missing piece and like they can't find it. He can't make it happen. And he, mm. what he is looking for to me just, is not ever clear. I think, like, well, I think just, it's his own faith. You know? uh, like he's lost his own faith. If only I could pray, he says. I, I agree, Eric. I, I do think that he's trying. I think I think he's ultimately. I think he's a good man. Like, and that's why he doesn't do what he almost does. Like he's, but like he's, but it it shows what emotional turmoil and pain can do to a person. Like it can just drive you into. It can make you someone that you're not. And the alcoholic, as he says, doesn't help. Like I mean, he's drinking so much. He's literally like putting it in his soup and like eating it with his food. Like this guy is like <laughs> serious, like serious addiction problems. Yeah, this guy's yeah, very, very, very addicted to alcohol. There's no doubt about it. I want to talk about <laughs> Mary versus Esther. Why does he feel right. does he feel so much more attached to Mary because of the suicide and because he wants to go down the road of more despair and pain and he connects to that? While Esther provides just as much pain about his own existence, about his physical health problems and his past pain and failed marriages and losing a child, there's just as much agony and despair there. Is Mary truly someone who's more of a light to him? That's why he's drawn to her as opposed to Esther? What what is how do you guys see the difference there? I'm curious. Well, to me, I'm a little, I mean, like, there's kind of an age thing there. I'm like, well, of course, he's going for the younger girl and the blonde. Like, okay. Oh, that's very simple. Um, what do you think about but, that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, oh, okay, Ethan. Yeah. Um, but which is understandable, you know, I can't judge. But, um, but more than that, I think it's a fact that Esther knows him. She literally knows him. She knows his pain. She knows his history. She knows all of, she knows him. And to be with her would like, would be like being with himself and he hates himself. But as as opposed to her, to Mary, she represents hope. She's pregnant. She's unknown, but like comforted by him and like sees good in him and like is happy to see him. So like so like not only is it like that, she, like part of the reason she's hope is it's because she doesn't know him because she's the unknowable herself. If, if you don't if you know what's coming, it's hard to hope for it. Hmm. There's a purity there. When when one of the subtle touchers touches that Schrader does oh is when he first uh, when he first you know hooks up with Mary and they're having a conversation, it's shot in these very wide shots. The second she mentions that she's pregnant, you get this immediately. You get this super super close up shot of Toller, and to me, that's kind of a clue into his disappointment at the fact that this opportunity is gone. And I think it's a nice moment. For them to get together, I mean, I find it interesting that he's thinking about blowing up the first reformed as early as like three quarters into the movie when he's like tells her not to come, like, and he still kind of carries on for a while in the movie, like doing stuff, and you're like, fuck, like, oh, I, speaking of like, like I know Mike, I know that like if you, if, I know that you've said before in the show that if there's voiceover, you only like it if it's like they're saying one thing but doing something else. When he's like eating <laughs> the miso and fish, and he's like, hey, you know, give yourself the little things. Why don't we? Why don't we? You know, why don't we indulge ourselves? But really, he's stalking bulk and bulk is like right behind him or he's yeah. like or, he, or when 
he's like, oh, I woke up feeling good this morning. And I got about my daily tasks. And so it's like getting pounded with booze, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of that happening in the movie. This guy's distorted. He's connected, but he's distorted. He's just an absolute mess. And I just find it to be a total cliche in the end. You say he's a good man. He's, the, he's a decent man. I think he's a man. He's, he's a, a man. He's a, He's a human being, but yeah. he's also, yeah. yes, he be, there's no, this good, bad thing. You know, That's kind of the point of the movie, right? He's, he's got the capability for greatness and awfulness, like, yes, depending on what you choose, hope or despair. Like, he could be a positive force for good in life, or he could blow people up needlessly. I think, you're right, that's actually a really clarifying point. Because he's not a cliche, really. He's actually more of, he's just, or in a sense, he is. This is humanity. You're struggling with the greatness and the challenges and the pain, and you're trying to make sense of it all every day. You could do something incredible for others at one point. You could be absolutely disparaging to others at another time while yeah. conflicting absolute horrifying pain upon yourself <laughs> and the ones you love, and then helping somebody out of a major crisis after their husband kills themselves. These yeah. are all things happening. This is, to me, this, I, I can't believe I didn't think of this sooner this is a textbook example of what humanity is it's not black or white it's all gray you know we people can save other people's lives and then you know cheat on their significant other at the same time like all these things are in play at once so, well it just hit me all of a right. sudden it's messy but ultimately <laughs> and it's messy and, and and like there might be you know terrible things that you know about coming down the line but ultimately it's the choices that you make Yep. You see, there's you get this. Okay, fine. Let's call it a cliche. You've got the the priest that's like conflicted and drunk because he can't deal yeah. with these the interactions. Alcoholic, particularly. But, that's. I cliche, mean, but. one thing that strikes me is that when he decides to have that conversation with Michael, he's a little bit fired up about the opportunity to help someone, yeah. even though he seems like the type of person to me that uh, thinks about how maybe I would feel about joining the clergy. You, these people are called there based on a faith, and I don't want me to generalize, but these people are called there based on a, a, a belief in a higher power. They aren't trained counselors, all right? So uh, talking to these people about whether or not they're on the seminary about, school, isn't that something they teach at seminary school? That's nah, a technicality, I think, you're making there. Possibly, but, but okay, let's say we're not talking about life or death. People are going to come to you about maybe wanting to cheat on their husband, their spouse. What's right? What's wrong? And they're expecting you to have the perfect answer. I'd be fucking no, drunk. Not all the, the perfect answer. Not the perfect. Come on, you know. come on. No, I, I think I think you've got a good point. I mean, like that's there's a reason why he's chosen a preacher as as his as his protagonist here or antagonist, whatever. Um, because he's someone that we would look to as 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 just like. All, like on just absolutely would have authority. Chad, our, our resident preacher, says that Eric is right. Oh, they don't they don't teach counseling <laughs> oh, at seminary God. school. Why would That's they? They're just telling people what to do with their life. Fuck me. All right. Anyway, <laughs> um, so uh, I kind of lost my thread there. Anyway. Oh, I lost my train of thought there. Oh. Well, we're getting uh, close to the point here. We actually started earlier on this film. We've talked. This is our one year anniversary. There's so show. much we to talk about. What else have we missed, Eric? Come on. What else have we not covered? Please get into it. Well, Paul Schrader himself, uh, if you didn't dig into him, he was raised in a Calvinist Reformed church. His father was yeah. a minister. He, the fucking guy didn't even see a movie until he was 17. And we're talking about one of the most respected screenwriters of all time. Uh, he stuffed so much <laughs> into this uh, about his own. This is this guy is the king of 
psychosexual savagery, male savagery. Affliction is one of the greatest movies I've ever seen in my life. And to me, this is his masterpiece. From Grand Rapids, too. Local uh, guy from the west side of the state. And Chad says, by the way, they do. They teach you to tell people to see a counselor, <laughs> which makes sense. So, Thank I you, Chad. Appreciate that. See a counselor. But yeah, so clearly this is like, this is incredible that a man could go through most of his life, tell stories for a living through film, decades and decades worth, writing, directing, everything, all the angles of filmmaking. And then at the very later, this actually makes sense that later stages in his life, he would make maybe one of his finest films. I, I actually oh. see that people might be like, well, that's amazing. I can't believe this guy at his old age was able to make this film. No, it's actually the experience and wisdom and everything he's yeah. learned through his own mistakes in his life that he's able to create this environment in the film. Really well done. And I think that we have um, some reason to be excited here. His, yeah, uh, we do. His upcoming film, The Card Counter, looks pretty fucking cool. We got Oscar Isaac, Tiffany Haddish, Mr. Willem Dafoe, a regular collaborator, and Ty Sheridan, who I think is a really promising young actor. And Paul Schrader wrote and directed again. So I think this is something to look out for. And before, that, here. and before that, Travis, your boy Nick Cage reteaming with Paul Schrader, a government agent must track down and kill a terrorist before he loses his full memory from dementia. Oh, God. That sounds awesome. It sounds right it's, up Travis's alley. Well, so, hard, so Schrader is like Nick Cage in a little bit and that he'll sometimes <laughs> do these fucking movies where he's just like clearly just kind of getting a paycheck or like just kind of like or just making movies with his friends and like whatever you know i just like he's just one of these guys that just he's just always working like every couple of years or so maybe every year he's just cranking something out all the time and some and, and most of it i think is pretty good some of it is less good than others um but uh, <laughs> i mean you love dog eat dog you said but it's rated four point something on uh, imdb i don't know if oh that yeah, means yeah. Well, i don't know that i loved dog eat dog but i liked oh, dog eat sorry dog, but okay. i would expect most people to hate dog eat dog because like the movie starts <laughs> off with willem dafoe doing the most vicious shit i think i've almost ever seen on film and it's just like hey, well here's your here's one of your main characters enjoy watching this fucking asshole oh for the next two God. hours yeah you know he did bringing out the dead with scorsese again and nick cage mm -hmm. in 99 and that was yeah. so so you know so you're right he's he has lived a life and i'm really really glad that we got to do this movie because one thing i don't think we've discussed we've we talked about the environment part of this movie but i really feel like we didn't i don't know there's something missing here that we didn't quite cover because when i saw this movie in 2017 18 sorry I was really just mesmerized by the shock, the powerful concept to me. It, I don't know why it hit me so hard, but I'm like, wow, this makes so much sense. Why wouldn't more pastors or people of faith who believe that God created this world would not be speaking out more about environmentalism? It just clicked in my head uh, such an obvious point that I wasn't thinking about because I don't really, I guess I don't think about that stuff on a day-to-day -day basis, but I was blown away by it. And you see that there are institutions that they are pushing back against as well. Like, I mean, because I've known like some Christians that would like, you know, that, like active Christians that have like bucked against their own churches over issues like this and like have had, you know, have walked away from them over yeah. this issue or similar issues. You, um, do we see a lot of I've been out of the game for a little while. But do we see a lot of churches? Michael Douglas in uh, 1997. Oh, God. We, oh, I, I think we all got drugged and left for dead, one. and all I got was a shitty movie. I, I'd be interested. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be interested. Since, you know, since the environment is the one thing in the entire world that, you know, faith or religion can't really have an immediate impact on, do we see a lot of churches promoting? Uh, environmental issues to, to their um, 
um, communities. My instant thought is I see more when I was I think about immigration issues and like human rights and equality for all. That's what I see on church lawns, at least in Ann Arbor and places like that or Detroit area. Or when I went to Maryland, even in Maryland and over in the Severna Park, I, I saw more of like those types of signs, but nothing about the environment just in my experience i haven't seen signs i've definitely heard people talking like quoting the bible saying that you know it's our job to be stewards of the earth that kind of thing i think that's genesis or something but um so i've heard that kind of statement made but i've also heard people i mean like historically speaking uh people have like christians have approached the land like this is what god gave us to exploit like these resources are here this is what genesis says right that these These animals are here to eat right these all these resources are here for us to use and exploit bring capitalism into that mix in the 19th century and and just like the 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 belief that people didn't even think animals could go extinct or that like you know they didn't understand non-renewable resources or care about that so like i mean you're gonna like 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 any like that's part of the again that's part of the point of this movie is you're gonna find people that are christians that could think like toller you're gonna find people that are christians that could think like joel and you're gonna find people that are christians that are gonna think like at bulk like christianity is not a uh a, like a, a barometer for how good a person is it's just a ideology and some people are going to be good and some people are going to be, people are going to be bad regardless of what they believe in and some right. people are going to do the wrong thing uh, the right things for the wrong reasons and sure. we haven't talked that much about bulk but his 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 whole uh uh, backbone and campaign is based around just fucking subjugating and dumping money into this church for his own political gain. Fucking slime ball. Yeah, I don't yeah, know how good a thing that is. Uh, for one, <laughs> and this guy Michael Gaston, who uh, he, he was in uh, the Leftovers, he did great on that. He he blows into this movie for like two scenes, and one of the scenes he doesn't even speak in. And I he don't laughs. know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that I can think of more villains that I've hated more on film. Then Ed Balk in this fucking movie, part yeah. of me is like, fucking kill him, bomb him, fucking kill yeah. him. Yeah. Like he's so yeah. bad. Just I mean, that, the way he talks to Tyler. That's what it is. That's just Ugh. what he does. It's the way he talks to Tyler. Like you, so he you counseled him, and then he went to go kill himself. I'm like, can we not politicize yeah. this? Like, like pretending like the climate change is like, like a political issue. Like, fuck you, dude. Like, oh, he's just the worst. Yeah, but he's all that. Let's talk about that scene. That's the restaurant scene where they have the apple pie. It's yeah. Reverend Jeffers and Reverend Toller and Balk. They all sit down at the local diner <laughs> and they got Balk. the pamphlet ready to go, which is printed on paper, by the way. He went, stopped by the printers. I got three copies, which has tons of pages of paper, which I also recognize <laughs> because that's what Balk does. And, and then, yeah. same time, Toller admonishes himself in the narrative there, in the narration, saying, I should have just kept my mouth shut. Why, you know, the most intelligent guy is the one who says nothing or looks to appear the yeah. most intelligent. So why I'm not sure why he's saying that. I actually confuse that because that's like what he would do. That's this is what this guy does. I'm not I'm not talking about Bach, I'm talking about Toller. He will speak yeah. and I think he's defending his little Yeah, it is right. respectable. He's defending that, his little area. But he kind of hates himself, right? I mean, like he's down on himself for little things. True. That's not the, yeah, that's that's not the only scene in the movie where he's just down on himself over nothing. Like, where he, you know what I mean? Like he, the dude, like part of depression is like hating yourself when there's no need to. Jesus doesn't want you mm-hmm. to suffer. That's the best ex- advice that Joel gives him. Like, like, you know, it's like, this is not, I don't like, I'm not a Christian, but I'm pre- pretty sure this wasn't what was intended. What right. Toler's doing. Uh, he makes a very clear statement though, about this was Michael's last wishes. Okay. His will was literally written out the right for thing. all of this things for this whole service to be carried out. This is not a political statement, although it had can have political overtones. So technically it's not untrue. Not because that, wrong. 
I mean, it, it is. Yeah. It is like a it, well, like there's he he brought one of his press friends. Like he, you know, one of his friends in the funeral was press. Like it was all it was intended to be a display. Yeah, that's <laughs> what he wanted. Michael dedicated his life to that. That's clear. But it, even though he can be right about what he wants, and it's fair for him to have his final rights be, uh, you know, respected. The fucking bulk could turn it into something else because that's what this guy does. He'll turn anything into a twist and it'll make you just want him to have your fucking head explode because even though you're kind of right, he's somewhat right too, but he's also just willing to twist the words. He's so a bulldozer. Great. Yes, yes, he's a boom. Yeah, he's a bulldozer. That's a great word for that guy. And that's why, you're right, he, I, really great job by Gaston. I want to fucking oh. punch that guy in the face 10 times over and he's, <laughs> he's hardly really in the movie. Good. He's a <laughs> he really is. good actor. He is great. Oh, Christ. Wow, we've been on for an hour and a half, guys. I think uh, I think we got to get to it on the anniversary show of Cinema Night Podcast. I uh, I feel like this is going to be an easy call, but maybe I don't know. I don't know how this is going to go. Um, who wants to do the honors first? Who wants to oh leap into it? Who wants to take a leap of faith? <laughs> um, uh, I'll jump in, you know. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's, there's a reason why we've talked about the movie. I mean... It's one of these movies that kind of matters, uh, unlike so many others that we see in in uh, multiplexes. It's so hard to categorize or, or put in a convention. Is it a religious morality play or a social allegory or an environmental thriller? It's all of these, man. It talks about the dangers of righteous indignation, and it's got interesting thoughts on the fact that we're not able to control the world that our children are living in and when you stop to think about that there is a fear there but in, in the long run i think the the um accomplishment of this movie is uh the opportunity it gives you to dwindle on hope or settle on despair uh you got to forgive me again romans talks uh, about saying it says do not over be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good if we keep that in mind, I think we're in a good spot. We, we forgive you for quoting scripture. We're not going to be down on you for that. Yeah, <laughs> we don't do that bias. So, oh, really? Yeah. There's no we, we don't care. You can, you, can, no. you can quote scripture all fucking day if you want. I mean, I'm not going to, but you're welcome to. But yeah, yeah. clearly the movie holds up. It's it's a complete masterpiece. It's a perfect film. <gasps> perfect film. Wow. A perfect film by Eric Branscham in 2021 here. It's Early 2021, so maybe we'll have another perfect film at some point in the year. Um, I'll go next. I will say this. So, so thought-provoking. It's very difficult to watch this movie and just kind of sit there and be like, eh. You know, maybe, <laughs> maybe if I was depressed as Toller was, maybe if I was like, oh, God, I got to sit down and watch this movie. But I feel like he would be, I feel like he would be into it. I feel like because he wants to have something to latch on to as well. So he'd be like, oh, yeah. Especially when he was activated as a, uh, you know, a radical, as Travis said earlier. Uh, it's very dry at times. Very That's fine, though. The, the style is the fact that it slow plays. It doesn't rush to any judgments. It doesn't rush to any quick movements. It's all very deliberate. There's really, even the scenes where they're, you know, they're touching each other and they're having that spiritual moment and they're flying over all of these first, these beautiful, gorgeous spectacles and then rubber tires, fucking uh, volcanic explosions. It's like chaos, garbage in the streets for miles. I, I kept wondering, like, where the fuck is this place, by the way? Where there's just this, it looked like it was a tsunami, a post tsunami type uh, street, but 
I guess that doesn't matter. I I really uh, I really just have a hard time watching this movie and not wanting to have a conversation about it. Like I I was really looking forward. I actually waited on this movie till last night because I didn't want to like I didn't want to watch it too early and then I want to talk about it with someone else and get out all these other thoughts that I might miss when we do our conversation together. It's very very absolutely challenging to the mind, current. And it does something unique in the fact that you will have to actually look in your own existence, your current existence. Like, that's why this this will only get more and more prescient, this movie. That's the other thing about it is another 10 years from now, we'll be like, fuck, remember that? We were kind of ahead of the game. It could be even worse now. This is not this is not a political statement. This is just the world we see before myself. I'm not trying to, to make it political. I'm not trying to get all Ed Balk with you here. I just want you to know that... Uh, you should see this movie if you've never seen it. For some reason, you've watched this or listened to this. You clearly have to have seen the movie. And it definitely holds up without a doubt. You know, there's this moment uh, pretty early in the movie where Michael talks about 2050, right? He talks about the year 2050 and like what people will think of th- that, you know, of him and us and all that kind of stuff. I genuinely hope that people in 2050 watch this movie. I hope that this movie is remembered. It's not that far off. I think that people might remember this movie well, and we'll watch it. And uh, yeah, and I think it will. Um, and it will. Sh- it will tell them if they, you know, if they, if they still have electricity <laughs> and they're able to watch it, uh, it'll tell them that you know, hey, we were conflicted. We were worried that we were worried that whether or not God would forgive us for what we've done to this world. That w- w- if you would forgive us for what we've done to this world, because there's a generational theme in this in this movie as well, right? Um, so I think it's an incredibly important and poignant film that um, says so many big things in such seemingly effortless ways. Like it's such a gentle film about such heavy issues. It's so beautifully shot. It's so calm and, and, and like still and well portrayed. And even in those moments where it gets a little more out there, like the, um, that transcendent intimacy scene where they're like laying on top of each other. And, and what Mike was just describing, where like, we're seeing like nature and then we're seeing like burning tire or like t- piles of tires and stuff. Like Magic realism. Yeah. It's like, it's so out of place from the rest of the movie. And I'm like, as I'm watching, I'm like, why isn't this fucking cheesy? And it's not, it's so powerful because like he's using art to display emotion and feeling without using any words whatsoever. And like, um, and, and, I don't know. Like this, this movie to me is the jewel in the crown of Paul Schrader's career and a very illustrious career. T- Taxi driver. What? Honestly. Um, um, this, this film is, um, I, I enjoyed it even more last night than I did after the first viewing. Uh, I had, I appreciated it immensely more being more prepared going in. And I really think this is one of the best films from this century so far. And it absolutely 100% holds up. And again, Ethan Hawke fucking robbed. Paul Schrader robbed. Ethan Hawke robbed. Both of them should have been nominated out the ass. Oh, you know, I'm thinking what you just said there, Travis. We could do our 30th anniversary show in 2050 and do first performed again, you know, 30 years later. All right, I'm ready. Let's do it. Yeah, I think we hope you all will join us again for that 30th anniversary show. We'll do it on April 8th, 2050. What do you say, about 930? 
Yeah, we'll be there. No. Schedule, <laughs> schedule the, the, I got a dialysis appointment. Uh, let's make it uh, 10.30. Good, because I have something at 11. All right, there it is. First Reformed. We did it, guys. And one year of shows, one year of, of film. What an absolute tweet it's been. I really enjoyed it. We've already said how much we love doing the show. We'll keep doing this. We'll keep bringing it to you. We're going to keep on trucking. And that means let's get back to business. Travis Roy, you're back on the schedule for this Whew. week's announcement of the next week's show i'm excited all right i uh i have a film in mind um i thought all this up man <laughs> yeah no by shifting gears completely that's hey! how there's there's no try to like I'm, we're not doing a drama <laughs> i'm gonna do a genre that we've neglected a little bit of late uh, uh, uh one of my favorite genres we've not really looked into as much nearly as much as i thought that we would um I thought this film was from 2012. It turns out it's from 2011. I'm talking about Adam Wingard's You're Next. Oh, shit. Okay. Mike, we're doing a horror movie. Sorry, but we're, doing a, we're doing a classic, I think, classic slasher flick. It's now been 10 years for this movie, uh, and it's one of my favorite slasher flicks. I think it's got a really interesting story. So, and, it's a, <laughs> and, and you know, I don't know how much is going to be there. Like, it doesn't have, we're not going to get the same heavy fruit to pick as uh, First Reformed offered up. I can tell you that right now. But I do think it's a pretty fun film, and I'm looking forward Not to a fun. another visit. Good I don't pick. even know what that means. Yeah, I, I figured you'd never, even, you'd never say that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I knew next. Eric had, and yeah, so I knew Eric had seen it. So now you're going to watch it. I will watch it. That's right. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be a lot of fun. And we'll do it next week on the Cinema 9 podcast. <laughs> You're next. It's you hear the enthusiasm in his voice. Oh, I yeah. have to watch people get murdered. Okay. Yeah! <laughs> Woo! Get fucking way to bump. Fucking Jack to the tits. Yeah, I'm excited. We're going to have a good time. Next week's show, we'll be here. Same time, same channel. One more year of film will be discovered through this show. Uh, we got the Oscars coming up soon, too. So... I don't know. You talked about you had an idea about us maybe doing like our own Oscar thoughts. Uh, what what was that, Travis? I thought it was oh, a fun idea. I guess we could talk about it on the show. I thought sure. it might be fun for us to like between the three of us like come up with a list of five nominees that we all agree on, and we don't necessarily have to like pick anyone from it. We could maybe put a poll up on Facebook or something, let people you know let our let our our many fans vote. But I thought maybe it'd be fun <laughs> to like offer our nominee. Maybe you know maybe not like everything but best director best film over the last year actress yeah the major categories yeah so so we'll uh, yeah we could each offer we'll we'll talk and kind of come up with a list of five between the three of us yeah we still got what three weeks so yeah let's uh yeah that's a good idea i think we should do that it'll be a lot of fun all right and next month uh we're gonna have our next guest steve paula will be on may 6th may 6th uh, that'll be after this rotation i don't know what the movie is yet he's still thinking about it he just did his 30 films 30 favorite films of 30 days uh, last month on Twitter. A lot of interesting picks. So he definitely loves movies. I'm really looking forward to Steve coming on because he loves the show too. So it's always great. I know that makes Travis feel better when our guests are big fans of the show. Or at least Again, they are they, aware they of the show. To, they don't have to be fans. They just need to know the format. Like don't, don't start bringing up a, a movie we talked about the previous episode. That's all I'm asking. That's fair. Very fair. All right. Well, that's it. I'm Michael Govier, Eric Branch from Travis Roy. One year in the books. Let's do another. We'll catch you guys next time.